Hey guys, Matt here. Before we begin this episode of Tower Junkies, I just want to mention that we are currently running a contest where you can win a free Tower Junkies t-shirt. The contest runs from now until January 1st, 2018, and if you want to enter, all you have to do is leave a rating and a review of the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, take a screenshot of the review, and email it to matt at obsessiveviewer.com with the subject line Tower Junkies T-Shirt Contest. On January 1st, I'll randomly select a winner from the entries and we'll get a free T-Shirt mailed to them. We'll be accepting entries until December 31st at midnight, so make sure you get the email in before then. Thank you guys for listening and enjoy this week's episode of Tower Junkies. You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast devoted to Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss King novels related to The Dark Tower, non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about potential Dark Tower-related adaptations. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. And you can also find more of our podcast content at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. I am your host, Matt Hurt, and with me today is Tiny. Hello. Hi, Tiny. How's it going? It's going really well. Great. Do you want to tell people what we're going to be doing on the podcast today? Absolutely. We are going to be talking about the film adaptation of The Dead Zone. Yes. I am excited to uh, talk to you about that. Because uh, I just finished watching it today for the first time ever, mm-hmm. so very excited to uh, to talk to you about that. But first, as we normally do, um, we're we're going to kind of check in with each other and see where we're at in terms of king things mm-hmm. uh, in our life. So, do you want to kick us off with your king check in? Absolutely. Um, last time I was making progress in the audiobook of Sleeping Beauties, the new one from Stephen King and his his son Owen King. Yep, I thought it might have been his nephew no son or yep. uh his grandfather grandfather or his uh no. adopted child i don't know no no i knew it was his son <laughs> um uh, from stephen king and owen king um and i have uh, finished it i finished it last week nice um yeah so i think we're going to review it on on the podcast here so yes i will withhold any thoughts until then nice i am about halfway through it at this point um I am playing, we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving, so I'm planning on, you know, really, really, if not finishing it, then at least making a very, very big dent in it on my four days off. Okay. Um, so we'll be reviewing that soon. Are you audiobooking it or reading it? Audiobooking it. Okay. Yep. And then it's funny because I keep seeing the like hardcover at the store and everything, and I'm like, I just want it for my collection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just want a physical copy. Right. I know how so, that is. Yeah. So I'll probably break down and buy it when it's on paperback just for the aesthetic of having it on the shelf continuity yeah yeah i get you yeah, for I the collection yeah um but my check-in for this episode is something i didn't really plan but <laughs> <laughs> so okay i posted this on instagram again you can find us at tower junkies pod on instagram um oh actually two things one is we have a new logo which yeah. i'm super excited about um it's uh, it's really cool so 
you can see that on all of our social media and everything, but we also have uh, it in t-shirt form on tpublic.com. Um, and also, as you heard at the top of this episode, and as you will be hearing throughout the rest of this year, um, we are running a promotion. Tiny, I don't know if I talked to you about this. I don't think you did. No. I'm out of the loop. Yeah, totally. People are going to be asking me about it, and I don't even know. I know, right? Um, so, <sighs> My Twitter's blowing up right now. Is it, though? No. Okay. So the promotion <laughs> is from now until uh, December 31st. All you got to do is uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Take a screenshot of that review. Send it to me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com and uh, just put the subject line uh, Tower Junkies t-shirt contest. And then January 1st, I will pick one of the uh, one of the entries and they will get a free t-shirt. Nice. So yeah, so go ahead and do that. I'm very excited because the shirt looks pretty killer. The design looks pretty killer. I haven't actually gotten my shirt in the mail yet, but okay. it does it does look good in the previews and everything. Nice. T-Public so, is awesome. It very much is. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so go check that out and uh, enter the contest. But my check-in is you may have seen this on the Instagram, but I kind of bought the Dark Tower on Blu-ray, and I haven't opened it up yet, or I haven't put in put in the disc, or I haven't checked anything out of it. But uh, the reason that I bought it, even though you can hear us pretty much tear it to shreds mm-hmm. as a movie um, in the basically the kickoff episode of this podcast, um, the first official episode of the podcast, I bought it specifically for you guys because, uh, we are, I think that if all goes as planned, our kind of Christmas gift to the listeners will be a commentary track for the dark tower movie. Um, so that you guys can watch it and listen to us talk about it, um, for 95 minutes. Um, yeah, if you can stomach it. Yep, yep. So <laughs> we will be there with you when you watch it. So uh, be looking forward to that next month for Christmas. And I think that's all I got for King Check-Ins. I did record the Christine uh, book review, so nice. um, that'll be coming up soon. And then I promise we will be getting back into the Dark Tower because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we kind of haven't talked about the Dark Tower that much. But um, next week we have... Um, a special episode with me and our friend Tony Troxel that's all about the gunslinger. So be looking forward to that. So sweet. Yep. So tiny, uh, the dead zone, mm-hmm. 1983, David Cronenberg. Yes. Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. um, uh, Martin Sheen, Tom Skurrett. Yes. And some other people. <laughs> um, so what's your history with this, with this adaptation? Now, we talked previously about how the Dead Zone novel was one of your favorite King novels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how, how is, how does the Dead Zone movie fit into your, your history with Stephen King and as a, a human being? Also, just to preface, we're going to be doing a non-spoiler section and spoiler section. You will be warned when we go into spoilers. Mm-hmm. So tiny, the Dead Zone. Uh, my relationship with this adaptation uh, is is very loose. I have seen it before. Um, honestly, I don't remember when because I want. I read the book when I was like thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is I yeah, dead. Well, no, no, no. I'm, that's that's incorrect. I'm thinking of a different book, but um, I think yeah, I remember it now. So the, I read the book when I was like in my early twenties, like 22. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we were working security and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, and then I, I went and found like a download of the movie and, and watched it. Um, just Wait, to, that's when you read the book. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I 
gosh, I forgot about that. I was I was thinking I read it was one of the books that I read back in like the 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 faded summer of 1999 before eighth grade, um, uh, which I will reference many times on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't. I I read the book in my early 20s or so, and then I was like, oh, there's an adaptation, and I have you know I like movies, (laughs) and so I downloaded and watched it, and 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 I really didn't remember it all that well. Um, I I remember the first time I watched it, I was not a fan of the movie at all. I thought it was pretty Mm bad. Um, so, but it, in fairness to the movie, I had just read the book. So it's like, yeah. I mean, if you do, if you, if you watch an adaptation of a book that you just read, you're almost always guaranteed to be disappointed. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, I'll add that caveat in there. So yeah, that's, that's, that's when I watched the movie for the first time. Yeah. Interesting. I had never seen the movie. And, uh, of course, as we mentioned in last episode, uh, this was my first time reading the novel. So going into this movie, I was kind of not sure what exactly to expect. I knew that you said that it wasn't that good. And, um, I was coming off of listening to it on audible and just falling in love with James Franco's performance narrating it. So I think that that also, um, put me at a slight or put the movie at a slight disadvantage with me because I just, I was so, so on board with Franco's narration that, uh, I felt like any portrayal of Johnny Smith would be subpar to me because in my head it's, it's James Franco. Mm-hmm. Um, and then knowing that kind of finding out kind of late in the game that, uh, 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 Cronenberg had made it made piqued my interest a little bit because it's a movie that I didn't really think had like a a bigger name director i kind of thought that it was just a adaptation from someone who never really had much of a much pull in hollywood so i was kind of looking forward to seeing what he did with the material and uh yeah and then i watched it today and we'll talk about it Mm -hmm. um you mentioned the being disappointed just from reading the book and everything. It's funny because that's like my go-to strategy with any adaptation is I like to read the book first and then, yeah, me too. And then watch it. Yeah. Like I, there are people that love watching the movie at first and then going back and reading the book, but I just, I just, my brain isn't wired for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I agree. Yeah. So you just recently watched it again. What did you Mm -hmm. think of it this time? Did your opinion of it improve or how'd you feel about it? Yeah, my opinion improved a little bit. Um, I don't think in the past I gave enough credit to uh, Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. I think he uh, he did he gave a a really good performance uh, despite the the weak script and the um, the the kind of lackluster effort I would say by David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he I think he did a pretty good he gave a pretty good performance, um, and I feel like it was a fairly um, tight adaptation it was pretty pretty faithful to the source um not that they have to be but i i think i think that's an asset to this story is to stick to the book pretty closely um so i think that was a good move and and i give it credit for that um but i i feel like um i i i wish i could really articulate what it is i don't like about the adaptation i think it's just the fact that it's uh it feels it felt just it feels just kind of thrown together, mm-hmm. um, especially in, in comparison with some other um, King adaptations from the eighties, um, right around this time. You know, it just it feels it feels like um, 
they just kind of threw the movie out there. Like, okay, these are the major elements of the story. Let's put these in there. Um, we'll have Christopher Walken play the lead guy. Let's go. Hmm. And it's, it just, it just seems very, uh, very vanilla to me. Um, it just doesn't seem like it has a lot of heart and that it really hit the, uh, it didn't seem like it hit the notes of the book that, that spoke to me and that made the book good. I think it, it feels like it, I feel like it missed that. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I, I think I was a little more engaged with the movie than you were, to be honest. Like I kind of, I didn't, I didn't come up come away from it hating it at all mm-hmm. um and also i'm actually a little bit far removed from actually reading the book so in the interim between reading the book and watching the movie i've read christine and i've gone through half of sleeping beauties and um read some philip k dick also so it's it's kind of a little bit far from my mind but i i did like the way that it's like i think you you said it's the tightness of the script it's mm-hmm. I liked the way that the that the movie was paced. Like it kind of okay. if you listen to our book review of it of of The Dead Zone, I was kind of a little disconnected with the narrative structure and the kind of there's a few different distinct acts that has Johnny Smith doing specific things in each act that is completely different from each other, almost completely different from the other two. So it's kind of jarring to have like almost a new cast of characters in one section of the book than what's previous. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's, that was kind of problematic to me when reading it, but this movie kind of flowed pretty effortlessly throughout the big events of the, of the story. And it is, it was surprisingly more, uh, close to the book than I expected it to be. Um, which I'm trying to, I'm, I know that when you have an adaptation, there's a lot of, pressure on or there's a lot of i don't know there's a lot of pressure on the filmmakers to adapt it as close to the book as possible and Mm -hmm. i'm starting to kind of turn around to that because like i'm one of those people that in the past would be like oh i can't believe they cut this out or they did this but i'm coming around to it where it's more like well it's a completely different medium it's someone else's interpretation of the work so yes there are going to be changes and some of those changes could be completely drastic and and different but as long as it captures what made the book special. It's, it, it's fine by me. So having said that they did implement some, some stuff in the movie that I was pretty surprised that they actually went with. Um, they changed some things around. They made, we'll talk about, we'll talk about the ending and spoilers, but, um, they changed some things around that made it a little tighter and made, made the interactions a little more, um, a little more, uh, I almost want to say incestuous, but mm-hmm. made the interactions more connected, like the different characters more connected throughout the entirety of the story rather than having characters come in and then new characters come in and then new characters come in later. Yeah. Um, and it, so I, I appreciated it for that. There were some things that were obviously missing for runtime sake and everything that didn't really need to be included. Anyway, I'm thinking in terms of like the uh, it's hinted at in the movie, but it's explored a lot fuller in the book, obviously, but, uh, Johnny's mother's like religious fanaticism. Mm -hmm. It's like hinted at in the movie, but then it just kind of drops. And then it's just there. It isn't anything spoken of, which I felt was kind of a shame because that informed, uh, Herb's character so much. And I felt like as a result of it being nixed from the movie, a lot of his characterization kind of fell by the wayside as well. Right. And so he became more of a, much more of a, uh, support, like, 
not very prominent character than he was in the book, which was a shame because I really love that character. Mm -hmm. But as far as performances and everything, I liked Christopher Walken more than I expected to, but I still felt like he was just kind of not so much that he was bland. Um, like he did, he did a pretty good job, but I feel like it didn't really capture what made Johnny Smith so appealing to me in the books. Like, we talked at length about how Johnny Smith was a very charismatic and friendly guy who got along with everyone. And Christopher Walken is more Christopher Walken in his performance. Mm -hmm. And it's not, he doesn't capture that, that uh, pleasantness that Johnny Smith inhabits in the book. So that was, that was kind of a shame, but I feel like he did a fine job. The the use of the word charisma, your use, your use of the word charisma is right. I think that was missing quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I still I still appreciated his performance quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. wasn't over the top or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there were some elements of the movie that uh, they included some stuff here and there that I I kind of appreciated, like the inclusion of uh, um, uh, the Raven uh, Edgar yeah. Poe, and then mm-hmm. how that kind of comes back to play later in the movie. I I appreciated that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a good a good way to kind of. Um, string together the characterization of Johnny Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, uh, Martin Sheen, I, I thought he did fine. Um, yeah. I thought he, like he did, he did okay. Just, he's not in the movie enough. Like yeah. as a kind of big bad of the movie, it's, you know, I really wish that it would have been like the book where it's set up from the beginning that he's, that he exists and that he is, uh, someone, that their paths are going to cross. But instead we get him, we don't get a single shot of him until about an hour and probably 10 minutes into the movie. And it's an hour and 43 minutes. Exactly. Um, yeah. So how'd you feel about Martin Sheen? Um, I liked him too. He, he was over the top, but he's supposed to be Mm -hmm. because the character Greg Stilson is, is, a almost a caricature, you know, he's, he's a a demagogue politician. So it it kind of makes sense that, uh, he's he's a little over the top and he feels a little ostentatious and mm-hmm. and and wild. So I think that was what the performance was supposed to be. And so I, again, I think he did a pretty good job. Um, mm-hmm. I love Martin Sheen. West Wing is one of the greatest shows ever, yeah. and he's one of he's. I think Jed Bartlett is my favorite fictional president. So mm-hmm. Martin Sheen will always hold a special place in my movie heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think we did. We were going to. We're, or we did a fictional presidents episode of Obsessive Viewer, mm-hmm. but then that recording was was damaged, so we never posted oh, it. Oh man, that's yeah. a shame. I forgot about that. Yeah, and we put a lot of work into that. Yeah, we did. Man. Yeah, Ugh, that's yeah. It that sucks, but um, yeah. but yeah, I, I like to imagine that uh, <laughs> there's like uh, like the idea of like fake trilogies, like. Okay, um, the Dead Zone. Greg Stilson is actually his character from American President, who he's in the administration, right? Mm-hmm. And then he's eventually like the then the end of it is him becoming president and Jed Bartlett. And, oh, yeah. nice! So it, it doesn't fit well at all, but no, you know, it doesn't. But yeah, um, but I, I liked his I liked his actual performance. He he is a little more he's a little more gangsterish than he is like. Uh, crazy grabbing by the pussy guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, which I, I it's kind of funny because it feels like I, I have no, I have no, um, uh, no way to corroborate this or no, like this is all conjecture on my part, but it kind of feels like 
kind of feels like they read Greg Stilson in the book and was like, eh, let's let's tone him down a little bit. He's yeah. a little too crazy. It's a bit much. Um, he wouldn't be believable believable at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and uh, uh, we'll save that for spoilers. Um, what did you think of the the way that the his power was represented and and like the flashes and how he's kind of the way it's depicted is that he kind of becomes part of the the scene if you yeah um i thought that was a good i thought that was a good choice i Mm -hmm. felt like that was a good visual choice Mm -hmm. um because it's silly to represent um you know visions of uh or it's 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 difficult to represent a vision that someone's having Mm -hmm. or it's very easy to kind of cheese it up yeah. But I think they took the difficult route, um, especially with, you know, uh, one of the early ones, he's, he's, he's having a vision of a, f- a fire that's taking yeah. place. And they insert him, you know, Christopher Walken into the flaming home, the mm-hmm. house on fire. Um, and there's, there's a murder he's trying to solve and he's mm-hmm. actually present during the murder. Like that's, I thought that was like, that's, that's the hard way to do it. Mm-hmm. That's a hard way to film that scene, and and they they took they went the hard route, and I respect them for that. And I think they I think it was pretty successful. Yeah, um, I think it turned out pretty good, and uh, I I think you know this this is a movie that I I kind of I would like to see it remade and see mm-hmm. what somebody could do with it, and I think modern filming techniques could help it out quite a bit. Yeah, um, but. I'm not trying to take anything away from what they did with this movie right. um, with, with practical effects and everything. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that part, uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and we'll go into spoilers here in a moment, but, uh, you, did you ever watch the USA show? No. I, and oh, I think God. the USA show was almost like kind of dead zone in, in name, name only. only. Yeah. yeah. That's what I kind of thought. So I, um, I had kind of forgotten that David Cronenberg directed this. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned it, that at the top of the episode. Um, I'm I'm really hit or miss on David Cronenberg. I really like some of his movies. I think A History of Violence is a great movie. Oh, yeah. I like Eastern Promises quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the '80s, he was weird. Yeah, like Videodrome, and uh, I think Existence is is. 80s. Oh, that's 1999. But he had some weird crap in the 80s, and he, it's like, it's like he was dropping acid and going and making a movie. (laughs) Uh, Video, video drum is a weird movie. I kind of like it. I've never seen it, but I've heard weird as crap. Um, so I mean, I, he's up or down, and he's had some really crappy movies, but he's he's a really pretty bold director. Like he Mm -hmm. takes a lot of um. He takes a lot of risks, I think. I think he does weird, like, Videodrome, there's a lot of people who are like, like, what did I just watch? That's, <laughs> that's a weird movie. I, that, that was way over my head. I didn't like it. But then there's some people who think it's a really great movie. And it's like mm-hmm. that, it kind of like messed with my head in a good way and sure. made me think I haven't seen a movie like that before. Um, but it's funny because I, I don't, I don't get any, uh, Cronenbergisms really from yeah. this. Maybe a couple times. Um, I think the, in particular, the, the scene where he's envisioning the house on fire mm-hmm. and he's, and he's literally laying in a bed that's on fire. That, that was Cronenberg-y, yeah. Cronenbergish a little bit. And I, I like that part. But other than that, it just doesn't feel like a David Cronenberg movie to me. Uh, yeah. Um, I feel like he was maybe hamstrung by the, 
the fact that it's an adaptation mm-hmm. and the fact that it was, you know, the studios involved and like, no, we want you to do this in this part and uh, we want you to do that and stick to the script and yada, yada, yada and so forth and so on. And, um, I, I feel like he was kind of hamstrung a little bit as a creative director. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you there. I don't, I like, I don't know if that was the case, but he did seem very, um, the movie seemed very kind of uh, neutered um, yeah. a little bit. Cause Cronenberg is, he is pretty known for being out there and yeah. he's like the body horror guy. Like mm-hmm. he did the fly. The fly is a great movie. I love the fly. I'm terrified to see it. Cause oh, really? I just think it, it feels like it would gross me out too much. It's gross, but yeah. man, it's like, I, I like that movie a lot. And, mm-hmm. and Jeff Goldblum is just over the, it just, yeah. he's, he's Goldblum's he's Jeff nice. Goldblum is me. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> it's awesome. I like that movie a lot. And, and, this was not the fly. <laughs> Definitely right. not. And like, there are moments in the movie where I was kind of expecting it to go like body horror kind of creepy yeah. kind of way, but it just, it didn't deliver on that, which I'm kind of right. relieved by, but mm-hmm. um, there's a little bit of it, which I'll, we'll talk about in spoilers, but mm-hmm. like, it's, it's more, that's more just aftermath kind of thing. It's not, yeah. it seemed like everything was the moment where he gets where he it feels like mo- there are moments where he is about to go full Cronenberg and then just reels it back and yeah. just doesn't. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of a tease. <laughs> mm-hmm. He handles violent action scenes so well. Mm-hmm. Like Eastern Promises, there's a scene where a character, somebody, a character is uh, somebody tried to assassinate a character. Mm-hmm. It's two guys on one, and it's like a knife fight, and it's brutal as hell, and like the sound and the camera is so immersive and there's also some scenes in uh, uh history of violence mm-hmm. that are just jump out at you. And he just, he does such a great job with it, but yeah. I didn't get any of that in this movie except for that one part. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I kind of expected a little bit more, especially given that this is early on in his career, but this is actually the same year the video drum came out. So yeah. he, he knew what he was doing. I think he mm-hmm. had his style and he had his signature. He knew he had himself figured out as a filmmaker. So I'm not sure. I'm just not sure what the element was that, that or why it ended up that way. Yeah. And, uh, have you ever seen scanners? I haven't, but I've heard it's, okay. it's one of his better ones. Yeah. That's what I've heard too. And I don't know if that's more like creepy, like, like body horror kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this movie was between not, maybe not between, but in the set, like this was after scanners and either right before immediately after Videodrome and then right before the fly. Like you would think that like, this is, this is this, you would think would fit more into that. Like he would include more of that and more of his, uh, style in that. But mm-hmm. like you said, he could have been kind of hamstrung by the, uh, studio or right. what have you. Right. Um, yeah, is there anything else that we should discuss in non-spoilers, or should we dive into spoilers? I think we can go to spoilers. Okay. Well, we are going to be spoiling The Dead Zone, and also we're going to be spoiling the movie The Dead Zone as well as the novel. Um, so be warned. Uh, we're going to play a little bit of music here, and then we'll go right into spoilers. Okay, we are spoilers on for The Dead Zone, uh, David Cronenberg's The Dead Zone. So the first thing I want to bring up, Tiny, is the Castle Rock killer. And in the movie, he's called the Castle Rock killer. He's not the strangler. But right. um, 
that whole we we were just talking about the Cronenbergisms of it and and the kind of la- lacking of his of his style and that's the one scene where I was like kind of on the edge of my seat thinking like he's about to go full Cronenberg it's going to be disgusting it's going to be it's going to be very very creepy mm-hmm. and you even get like kind of the hint of that with Frank Dodd taking the scissors and he's like you get like just to it and then yeah. it cuts away and you don't even really get like. I would have thought that he would have just gone full on with that and, right. and creeped us out and everything. Um, so it makes me wonder if there's like an alternate cut or if there's something that's cut out from yeah, it. Yeah, I was looking yeah. at the trivia and it, mm-hmm. it seems like they they did film it, but okay. they didn't want to put it in the movie. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. This was 83, so this is before PG-13. So Oh, yeah. You know, there's back in, back. I think it was 87 is when it started, but... That sounds per, right. Or 86 maybe, but... Pre eighty six or eighty seven, um, the editing process is kind of interesting to look at for certain movies because um, they were just like, well, we either need to be super clean to get that PG, or right. let's just go all out with the f bombs and yeah. the gore and the nudity and stuff, just so because like, hey, we're gonna get her an R rating no matter what. So, right. um, yeah. So I don't know what the intention. I don't even remember what this was rated. Oh, I don't remember either. Um, I would think R, but... Yeah, you would think. Yeah. What does it say here? It's R. It's rated R. Oh, rated R. Okay. Yeah. So it's weird that they were so... It was so subdued. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the First of all, I just I just noticed the uh, the quotes on the, the scene where he's like, the ice is going to break. Like, yeah. that... I just I kind of cringed a little bit at that, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I kind of appreciated that scene a little bit. I mean, the part where he like you know slams his cane into the table and he's yeah. just like, yeah, it's it's a bit dramatic, mm-hmm. um, unrealistically dramatic maybe, but yeah, again, I think Christopher Walken handled that fairly well. It could have been super campy. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have been you're tearing me apart, Lisa. Oh, you know, it could have been like that. Yeah, but, which I haven't even seen that movie. But oh God, I it's an to. experience. Yeah, I need to. You need to see it before the disaster artist. Disaster artist. Yeah. I want. I'm really excited for that movie. Me too. Me yeah. too. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, odd odd choices given the R rating. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's very uh very bizarre, but it didn't really take too much away from the experience for me cuz like I mm-hmm. didn't need to see Frank Dodd like impale himself with with scissors or right. anything. Um I do prefer the way that that's handled in the book, but I mean we're getting into kind of nitpicking territory with that. Yeah. Um one thing though <laughs> that I want to say uh, or kind of that leads me into nitpicking the differences between the book and the movie. Um, the way that, the way that Sarah and her husband and their baby are included in the last and in, in the kind of climax of the movie, where it's that, where he, where this, her son is the child that Greg Stilson holds up, I thought, I don't know, uh, the more I've, I've thought about it, it's just like, I just, I'm not, I, I feel like it it was a lot better in the book where they weren't anywhere near that. And it's all, it's all about Johnny. Right. Like it felt like it felt contrived to have, have his, uh, big moral point 
the big thing where he's he's about to do something that's unforgivable for the sake of you know the world essentially but the stumbling block he has isn't his morality it's the fact that the person the woman he loves has her child in in danger like that felt like it was just contrived and took away from his his uh motivation or or his his big moment as a character. I agree. And, and I think, um, I think maybe that was an attempt to avoid doing a voiceover with letters, like in the book, you know, yeah. cause in the letter, that's how the book ends is that, you know, he's, it's a list of all the letters that he wrote to all his loved ones. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that ending in the book, Me too. And, but you know, that's difficult to achieve with the film and without a voiceover. And I'm typically not a fan of voiceovers. They work sometimes. Right. Um, and so I don't know if that was why they did that, but I agree. I think it was an ill-advised choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, um, it also downplayed the, uh, the whole movie, but that scene in particular downplayed the, uh, the physical effect of his powers on his body. Yes. Which was emphasized a lot in the book and mm-hmm. was kind of, uh, pretty visceral in the book like i really like yeah. when you read it you feel like you're getting a headache yeah like you know what i mean yeah the moment where he's gonna assassinate greg stilson is like the, he's damn near on death's door right like and i felt like that just wasn't communicated in the movie right hardly at all i think in the book that helps motivate him to mm-hmm. do what he does yeah oh you know? absolutely and, and i feel like he that's one thing that i think was missing from the movie is that mm. he in the book, he wrestles so much with what he needs, what what he should do with mm-hmm. these powers, and what length should he take it to. And you know, in the book, the part where he's he becomes a tutor for Chuck or Charlie, mm-hmm. I don't. Know, I think it was Chuck. Chuck. Um, and you know, there's the whole all the kids die in the restaurant that's struck by lightning. Yeah, that is a huge catalyst for him. Mm-hmm. And. I feel like they tried to go that route with the hockey team. Yeah. But it just didn't have the same weight and they didn't they the, the character didn't externalize that turmoil at all. Right. And it also it was missing. Yeah, like yeah. the uh the plotting of it is kind of strange too or the positioning of it because he like the whole uh hockey team thing happens before he even gets the vision of Stilson. Right. And so it's like it just seems like kind of a bizarre choice to have him like the movie actively avoids him having to wrestle with, you know, the possibility of, of doing that and the possibility of getting something wrong or, or, you know, what have you. And another thing that it, it kind of disregards completely. And this is something that I was bummed about that wasn't included in the movie was the whole idea of like the blue filter, like Mm -hmm. how his vision of, of it, like the reveal that it's a child is, an incredible moment in the book and like they, we don't get any of that. We just right. get Martin Sheen just kind of being like, Oh crap, hand me this kid. And yeah. it's kind of a, it didn't really work for me. The whole way. concept of the dead zone where mm-hmm. he can only see certain things and like, you know, he's, he, he can, he has a vision of this important moment, but some of the most important details of that moment are, blocked off or they're in the dead zone yeah that seemed to come up once in the movie yep maybe um granted it maybe only comes up three or four times in the book right but it's still pretty obviously it's pivotal to the story right and in the movie it felt more like a peter griffin kind of like oh they said it yeah they They said said the name in the movie exactly yeah yeah and I, i feel like um 
I feel like Johnny Smith was the only well-rounded character in the movie, really. Um, yeah, me too. Which that can that can happen in a kind of noirish style story like this, mm-hmm. you know that. I, I can understand that, but if you have a good enough director and script and stuff, it's not that hard to, you know, have supporting characters who really. I mean, Doctor Wysak in the movie is just like one hundred percent a Deus Ex Machina. Like he's yeah. just so nothing about that character is unique. And mm-hmm. um, Sarah is the love. Is that her name? Yeah, Sarah. I had hundred percent, hundred percent a love interest. Yeah, I mean, completely like. Uh, I don't know, like, I feel like, and granted, this is 83, so depicting women in movies, is, like, it, it's not, like, I'm not expecting it to be 2017 progressive, like, filmmaking or anything. Right. But also, it's like, she didn't really have, like, any agency in the movie. Like, yeah. she she was just, like, she dated this guy, uh, they were going, like, they were in love, and then he went into a coma, and then he's out of a coma and then like they don't like the movie does nothing to uh, show her struggle with that. Like there's mm-hmm. one scene, like the first scene where he, she sees him and then he, she's like, don't look at me like that. And then like the next scene they're together, she's like, oh, okay, well my kid's asleep. Let's bang. Right. And like in the book, that's such a beautiful moment because you feel like their connection is so great. Like, King does such an incredible job of developing their relationship and those characters and the tragedy of those characters. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, it's just like, it's like they had bullet points of, of parts of the book that they needed to hit. And then they didn't, they didn't write to it in, in, in an effective way. Absolutely. And that was, that was a, that was a downer for me. Yeah. And I, I appreciated, uh, in the book, Johnny's relationship with his dad. Mm-hmm. I think that was, um, I think that was something that, added to his struggle as to yeah. what to do with his powers, you know, cause he had a good relationship with his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like you mentioned earlier, his, his mother's, uh, religious mania, yeah. um, was, was absent from the movie and that was a shame. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, there, there were so many good supporting characters in the book. I wish they would have made more of an appearance in the, in the movie. Me too. And it's like, I remember, after we reviewed the book, I kind of was, was kind of ruminating on it and thinking like, yeah, I, I did. I like, I, I really enjoyed it a lot more after we discussed it. And then after seeing this movie and thinking about it, like I've, I actually liked the book a lot more because it's making me realize like, yes, there were tons of supporting characters in the book that really helped develop Johnny's main struggle throughout the book while also being their own individual well-rounded characters. Like the whole thing with Sarah and Herb kind of, uh, and granted they can't do all this in, in a movie, but like their, their friendship in the face of um, uh, her, his mother's death and Johnny's coma is like, that's a beautiful friendship that blossoms and they right. kind of become each other's like rock. Yes. And then, that leads to the amazing like kind of family scene in the book that is replicated in the movie, but you don't get enough of Herb. You don't get enough of Sarah. You don't get enough of the supporting characters. Yeah. And it's kind of, while that scene was effective in the movie, it just felt like it was really missing that extra like emotion to it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. Yep. Um, yeah, so any anything else that we should go over? Um 
I don't think so. I mean, were you kind of disappointed that they didn't have more of a background on Johnny and Greg Stilson, you know, the whole part, like where Johnny kind of gets his powers when he slips on ice and hits his head? Yeah. Or the part, like, one of the first scenes with Greg Stilson where he kills be- a dog. beats a dog to death? Yeah. I, yeah, I wish that, like, they could have just had, like, that could have opened the movie. Yeah. And, like, I would have been, I would have been a lot more satisfied with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just, there were, we didn't get any of that. Right. Like, I kind of miss those. Me too. Those from the book. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Especially Stilson, because that's just, man, because I think when I read the book, I had, uh, you know, I just, I got my dog six months ago. Oh and yeah, I was like, you son of a bitch! Right, like, it just made me so. That's just such a despicable thing. That, oh, absolutely. You know, it was amplified by that event in my life as well. So, mm-hmm. t- for that to be missing was just a bummer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and I I would be interested in seeing them remake it. Like we talked about in the in the book review, I still I would love to see like a three season TV show. Each season is Johnny in each part of the book. So the first mm. season is him getting his powers. Second season is a castle rock strangler. Third season is him doing the coming to terms with his, um, his obligation to do the unthinkable mm-hmm. when he finds out Greg Stilson. Right. Um, yeah, I would love to see that done. But, yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah. But you know, um, I think that'll do it for this review. Um, yeah. Yeah, is there anything else you want to add, or should we close it out? I think we can close it out. There's not. It wasn't an incredibly deep movie or anything that needs right. a ton of analysis, unfortunately. Yeah, I think we covered it pretty well, though. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, that'll be that'll do it for us. Uh, next week we're going to have a review of The Gunslinger with me and our friend Tony, and then uh, after that we'll talk about Christine, and. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Once again, uh, get yourself a free T-shirt. Um, uh, write us a review on iTunes and then send us a send us an email and and uh, be entered into it uh, to for a chance to win a shirt. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so we will eventually do a some other like palaver episodes. I did have an idea, Tiny, that we would do a. Uh, Palaver episode with we had we had a listener comment on Facebook with a long list of like uh, kind of inaccuracies or or uh, uh, anachronisms in uh-huh. the Dark Tower series. I saw that, yeah, yeah. And then we also had a uh, an iTunes review that had a question that I I feel like we should address. We should do like a like an extended pop like like a Tower Junkies equivalent of our obsessive viewer extended potpourri. That's just a general palaver episode. Okay. So we should we should plan that in the in the weeks ahead. But anyway, interesting. Um, yeah, uh, that'll do it for this episode of Tower Junkies. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. Thank you for listening to Tower Junkies, a Dark Tower podcast presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at TowerJunkiesPod.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can find ways to do that at TowerJunkiesPod.com slash donate, or become a patron for Obsessive Viewer at Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer for recurring donations with different reward tiers. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can contact us by emailing us at matt at obsessiveviewer.com 
or by tweeting us at Tower Junkies Pod or at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod. For more podcast content from obsessiveviewer.com, check out Anthology, my solo side project podcast where I'm reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and exploring other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology television shows. You can find Anthology at anthologypod.com and anywhere podcasts are found. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Once again, thank you for listening to Tower Junkies, and we'll see you next time.